Hey there, welcome to the Harriman Audio Journal, a podcast from the City Journals. I'm your host, Justin Adams. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the Harriman Audio Journal. Uh, today I am joined by Candace Perucci, uh, who represents Harriman and the Utah House of Representatives, um, District 52. And she is running for re-election this year. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, so to start off with, can you tell um, listeners just a little bit about yourself if they're not already familiar with you? You are the incumbent, but maybe people don't really know who you are. Yeah, no, thank you for this opportunity to come on your show. I appreciate it. Um, so I uh, was born in uh, Utah, and I grew up in the Harriman area. So my district is the majority of Harriman, uh, portions of Riverton, and a sliver of South Jordan. And I've actually lived in District 52 for 17 years. I went to Harriman Elementary, Fort Harriman Middle, Riverton High School. So I love our community. Um, really, I feel like I'm a product of the district and um, have really enjoyed uh, living there and growing up there, which is why my husband and I have chosen to live and raise our family there. So I actually uh, was, I replaced Representative John Notwell in a special election last year, in 2019, he resigned. And um, obviously towards the end of his term, and there was a special election held, which I won, and then was appointed by Governor Herbert. I got in just in time for all the exciting tax reform. I broke uh, party line and I voted against increasing taxes. Um, and then had my first session where I was able to get legislation passed and work with my colleagues. And then obviously now I'm up for re-election less than a year later. So um, yeah, that, that's a little bit about me. I My undergrad's in political science. My master's is in public administration. Um, I've worked for Congressman Chris Stewart as his director of community relations. And then also um, worked at Sutherland Institute as their development director. Oh, yeah. Um, so how, you said that you were there was a special election and you were also appointed. Yeah. How did that uh, work exactly? That's a great like... question. Yeah. So because Representative Notwell was Republican, his mm-hmm. party gets to, the Republican Party gets to replace him. And so right. the delegates in District 52 um were able to elect that person. There were, I'm trying to remember now, at the end of the day, I think there were four or five of us who ran. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one heck of a campaign to do in, uh, it's a campaign blitz, because it was six weeks, and you're trying to get done what most people have an entire election year right. to get done, right? Um, so I made a goal to meet with every delegate, and um, really was able to meet with over 90% of them, just meeting with them in their homes, talking to them about the issues mm-hmm. I care about. And then um, <clears throat> that night at the election, the special election, there were two rounds of voting. In the first round, I got 40%, and then there was a second candidate, and we went on to the second round, and then I won there. <laughs> so, and then the party submits that name to the governor, and then the governor appointed me. Okay. Yeah, so that's, right. that's how it works. And... Um, I know it's not, it's a unique opportunity to jump in at the end of someone's term, mm-hmm. um, but I'm really glad I had the chance to. Okay. So I'd always heard that you were appointed, and so I wasn't yeah. aware that there was also, also yeah. a special election. Exactly. That yeah, that, that the okay. parties then nominate to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. So what made you want to do that at yeah. that time? Yeah. So when I heard Representative Notwell had resigned, who I think he did a great job as our, our representative. I just had this thought, I got to do it. I have always 
Um, I've worked on presidential campaigns, congressional campaigns, um, always been involved in politics. Um, I actually interned up at the state capitol as a senior in high school, and mm-hmm. I, I fell in love with the process there. I love that at the state legislature you can actually get something done. Um, working it for a member of Congress, it's incredibly frustrating because right. we really aren't getting much done. Um, so I thought, you know what? I, I grew up here. I understand the issues of our district. Why not? And um, interestingly, it was funny. My husband called me the same time I was calling him. And I said, I got to run. And he said, you got to run at the same time. So it mm-hmm. felt right for our family. Um, we, ha- we do have a little boy. Um, but the timing felt right. And uh, I was just excited to serve. Great. And what what has that first year been like for you? You mentioned a little bit about being involved with in uh, opposing the tax reform, but kind of a little more broad, like what have you learned so far? Yeah, and... yeah. So I, yeah, went in for a special session. We have had more special sessions. We've had a historic number this yeah, year with COVID. Of course. It's been interesting. A lot of my colleagues have said, I've been in, you know, X amount of years. It's a decade or more. And they've said, I've never had a year like this. And that's my mm-hmm. first year. So yeah. uh, it, whenever people talk about being in the legislature, they always describe it as drinking from a fire hose. And it's a little bit like that. I I think it helped that I had done an internship there and I had been involved in the policy process. So I understood, you know, how the committees work, how things get through. Right. Um, <clears throat> there is uh, an enormous amount of information that you're consuming during the session as you're reviewing all these bills. So really, you, your whole time is just dedicated to that, which I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has been great. I've really enjoyed being on committees, and honestly, that's my favorite part of being in the legislature because that's when we really get to dig into legislation. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people watch the floor debates and think, right. why aren't they even discussing this bill? If you pro- if you go to the committee meeting, you're gonna see that's a lot more discussion happens. and debate and you're bringing in the experts and talking about mm-hmm. it. So I really enjoy that part mm-hmm. of it. And which uh, committees were you on? So I'm on Health and Human Services. Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna I'm sure that, me that's here. been a big one <clears throat> that's, recently. That's been really interesting, especially with COVID-19. Um, and then all, some of the legislation that we looked at during the session was huge. Right. I'm also on, for my appropriations committee, I'm on higher education, mm-hmm. um, which has been a really fascinating process. My favorite committee is government operations, like the policy wonk in me just loves it. Right. Um, policy process and what gov- sh- what the government should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and then I'm on uh, business and independent entities and commissions. It's a really long name. That's another probes committee I'm on. And then during interim, I'm on economic development and workforce services as well. So I've appreciated my assignments and being able to work with my colleagues. Okay. Uh, were you able to um, sponsor any bills yourself yeah. in your yeah, I did. That first session? Yeah, yeah Do you want to talk, talk about any of those? Yeah, you bet. So I, uh, it's funny, when I got in, people said, hey, you should just sit back watch how it's done and mm-hmm. that's not really my learning style and i don't think that's uh <laughs> that's not why i was appointed or elected right let's right. get things done so um i was able to work on a couple of committee bills um, that were pretty straightforward that agencies had requested assistance with but one bill i'm really i was really proud of and excited about was if you're if you're familiar with olympia hills if you live in my district, you know familiar. what Olympia Hills is. Yeah. Um, and you also know just the, uh, the challenges we have with the county developing an un, unincorporated portions of our corner of the county, right? Right. And so what this bill did was looked at the process and, and said, how can we empower cities? That was my biggest concern is I really am a believer of local control. And so in that process, um, we were able to empower cities in that they – 
have a, some voice, level of a voice in the decision-making process. So before, a, the county could build an undeveloped land and, and just send it, oh, by the way, they don't even have to tell the cities they're doing it. So this requires a notification process. It also requires that the city's municipality be allowed to indicate whether they support or oppose that development, mm-hmm. um, which I think it encourages dialogue in the conversation. And again, it's empowering local control. So that one I was the most proud of mm-hmm. in getting through um, and working on bills for the upcoming session. But I was able to pass four bills. I co-sponsored several bills that were really big. Obviously, we tackled education funding that um, COVID's put a little bit of a kink in, but we're working right. on. Uh, and, and just those other bills that I think were, were important. We talked about um, the cost of insulin. I was a co-sponsor on that, on, on capping the price and keeping that cost lower. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a fantastic first year and I'm excited for the next session. Great. Um, what has uh, campaigning been like for this election? Well, it's certainly not like my first time around where I was right. physically going into people's homes and, um, you know, holding campaign barbecues door to door. So mm-hmm. obviously wanting to be um, careful and aware of, of COVID-19. And so uh, we've I've had a couple of Zoom town halls that I've oh, hosted. Yeah. I have done a couple outdoor town halls that allow for social distancing. Uh, I have been doing door hangers. Normally mm-hmm. you would, as a, a legislator, you'd knock doors and talk to right. interact with people. But with our cases being so high, um, I've just been, you know, be able to knock doors. We do honk and wave so people mm-hmm. can, you know, see us as, as they drive by. So, yeah, it's definitely been different. Um, and I am looking forward to getting back to a normal campaign season. Uh, we didn't have any parades this year, yeah. which I know is big for a lot of us. We were able to do the car show parade that Riverton City hosted. But, but yeah, I think we're all just adapting and finding ways to still connect with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has uh, social media been a big part of that for you? Yes, thank you for bringing that up. So I, as a millennial, (laughs) I'm very, I think that social media is a great way to be accessible, which is one of the things I ran on. And so I have a very robust Facebook page and Instagram page. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also I do surveys of my constituents. I've done two so far. Um, One particularly about how COVID-19 has impacted them. But yeah, I, I really do think, and in terms of email, um, and really maximizing that digital communication because that's really what we're working off of right now. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's been very weird and different than It's definitely a different dynamic. And you want to be uh, respectful campaign. of how people feel about, uh, and, and um, where people are at, especially um, when you're, like I said, not going into people's homes and just going <clears throat> door to door. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely been a different process. But it's also created unique opportunities, I think, for, again, for accessibility that moving forward – even in a regular campaign year, mm-hmm. I will still hold Zoom town halls because yeah, people smart. are able to attend that normally couldn't go in person, mm-hmm. right? So so I think we're going to have some, although COVID has made 2020 not the year we wanted, it's it's challenged us in ways to, I think it'll increase accessibility yeah. in the future. It's forced us to be a lot more creative. Yeah, exactly. And adaptable. Yeah. Forward, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with a few more questions for Representative Perucci. Hey, do you own a business in Harriman? Would you like more customers from the Harriman area? Consider advertising on the Harriman Audio Journal. This advertising slot could be yours. You could be reaching some of our community's most active, plugged-in, community-oriented residents. You know, the kind of people who make Facebook posts about supporting local businesses, and spread word of mouth to their friends. 
If that sounds like the kind of customer you'd like to reach, then give us a call at 385-557-1010. Again, that's 385-557-1010. All right, we're back with Representative Perucci. Uh, we have a few questions for her that we have also asked to uh, her um, her opponent in this election. So it's almost kind of a, an informal debate. They both have the opportunity to answer the same questions and you as listeners and voters can uh, listen to their answers and help you be a little bit more informed about who you want to vote for. So uh, first question for you, uh, Representative, is what do you think is the biggest challenge that the Harriman community is facing right now? And if reelected, what would you try to do to combat that challenge? You bet. I appreciate the question. So uh, for me, I think the biggest challenge we're experiencing, and it could can be an opportunity, is growth. Mm -hmm. And um, particularly the exponential explosive growth that we're seeing right. in Harriman. As someone who grew up there, it is amazing to drive down 134th and just see the expansion. It used to be farm fields, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think as, as part of that, it's preserving our quality of life that we all know and love. And really, um, for me, infrastructure and transportation is really important. So I've been meeting with UTA on seeing what opportunities are available. They've started a micro transit route in our area. They're looking at other things um, to expand that, obviously making sure we're not all parked on 134th and 126th to get mm -hmm. home and leave. Uh, the biggest, the the most time-consuming part of my commute is actually getting out of the Riverton-Harriman area. Right. Uh, not actually being on I-15 to get downtown, right? Mm -hmm. So I really do think um, that impacts, I think growth impacts water. Um, I've been meeting with Jordan Valley <clears throat> and seeing what, you know, a development like Olympia Hills is going to do to our water resources. Um, anyway, so I think across the board, Growth is really having a significant impact. It's impacting our schools. It's putting pressures on our law enforcement. And then our cities are <clears throat> having to pick up the slack and, and um, put more resources into, uh, you know, the, the city resources for constituents. So I think that's really important is addressing that. And, and what I think is I've been advocating and will continue to advocate for increased funding for transportation and infrastructure in our area. I think that's really important. I will continue to fight for local control. I think that, um, you know, it's much more, it's easier to go to a city council meeting, right, and mm -hmm. let your voice be heard. Definitely easier than going to D.C., but even more so than the Capitol. And so yeah. I think that, you know, government is most responses to closest levels to the people. So I think that local control is really important as we're dealing with issues related to growth and quality of life. Um, and I, I think those are two areas that I'm really concerned about. One thing I would also like to bring up in addition to growth is mental health. Mm -hmm. And so when I conducted a, a survey of constituents, I listed things, um, a broad, broad list of things of how they were impacted by COVID-19. And above economic hardship, loss of a job, and concerns related to finances, the number one thing was the challenge of mental health and mm -hmm. what it's done to their community. And I think we've realized that as much of a digital world we all live in, we really need in-person interaction. For and, sure. and particularly for our teens and our youth in Harriman specifically, we've seen um, issues with suicide, right? We've had suicide clusters. And so I really think uh, mental health is something we need to be addressing, which I'm working with uh, Representative Ellison on the Health and Human Services Committee. We've done a lot to try and increase access to resources for mental health services, um, particularly in our rural communities. So. 
I think those two areas are really big for our area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Um, of course, uh, if you're elected, you won't just be, uh, well, you'll be re- representing your district, but you'll, you'll also be participating in bills that will affect the state as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some broader issues that at the state level that you are passionate about or um, are excited to uh, potentially be able to impact? Yeah, you bet. I appreciate the question. So I think um, you're going to see us in this next session. We're going to be continuing to address COVID-19 and its impact. And and not just the actual um, virus, but what we've seen government's response do. I mean, so quickly we're able to, the churches, we, we told people, you know, you can't go to religious services. We need, um, in terms of emergency powers, that's something I've been working really hard on uh, with colleagues, is keeping the transparency, the checks and balances, the accountability in place. And and quite frankly, when you ha- we're in a state of emergency like we are now, there is not the same checks on the expenditure of funds. And mm-hmm. so to me, my concern has been transparency and accountability and making sure those are managed and spent in the most frugal way possible. So moving forward, you're going to see in the 2021 session us doing, I think, a huge overhaul in the emergency powers of the governor, the executive branch, and local health departments especially. Um, I don't think a lot of us <laughs> understood the authority that our local health departments had until COVID-19 hit. Mm-hmm. So I think that will be a really big deal. Um, also, education, we're going to be continuing to address. If Amendment G is passed uh, and approved by the people, uh, then I think it'll be a huge win, in my opinion, for education in that we're going to be funding inflation and growth and continue to increase that WPU funding, which is important. So I think that's something you're gonna see during the session. Even with all of our budget challenges, when we came back together for our special sessions with COVID-19, we made sure to increase education spending and um, social services spending. So those are things we are aware of and prioritizing. Things I'm gonna be working on, I have a bill related to impact fees. uh, That's again, empowering cities in that development process. Um, I also am working on some bills related to stalking and domestic violence. We've seen during COVID-19 a huge spike in domestic violence as people are home. Uh, It's harder for victims to reach out and get help because uh, they're not going to work in school like they normally are. Mm -hmm. So I think that'll be a a big issue we're looking at and and really just seeing the fallout from this. I also think, though, some of the opportunities you'll see. um, So, uh, excuse me, Senator McKay has worked on a bill related to air quality in that we've realized we were making people come to an office who were great at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, not to say that it's going to 100% have all government employees work from home now, but um, he is working on a bill that I think is a, an innovative idea where just strictly the government is not requiring businesses to do this, but if you're a Utah State employee on those red air days, mm-hmm. that you would work from home. And, um, you know, just, just taking what we've learned from 2020, and applying it to yeah. the future of our state. Yeah, I think with traffic too, I've noticed uh, driving from Harriman to I-15 has felt better the last Isn't that nice? six yeah. months <laughs> while people, more people are working yeah, from home. Yeah, exactly. And so just kind of looking at how we can be creative. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if I can ask a little bit of a follow-up question. Yeah. Uh, since you brought up earlier that you think the, you know, the best um, or the most important government is the one that's closest to the people, um, and then you just said that you are looking at kind of how, how much authority the county health departments have. Yeah. 
Um, are, are you concerned that the county health department should be, is making decisions that should be made by like local cities or that they're making decisions that you think should be made at a state level? So that's a really fair question. And the answer that I think is both, it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest concern is, and not that our um, public health community hasn't done their best in trying to manage this. um, And like I said, I think everyone's trying to do their best. But at the end of the day, I think when you are elected, you are accountable to voters and mm-hmm. our local health departments are not elected. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's this this lack of accountability to voters, in my opinion. So right. I do think in some areas, this certainly isn't trying to be a power grab for the legislature to now become the public health lawmaking body of the state. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think, though, there is value in have it be targeted. So in looking at different counties, case levels rural Utah is not experiencing what Salt Lake County is or even Utah County is. Mm-hmm. And so it, it should be targeted. And it and could even in those communities be right down to the municipality level on what's needed for that community. Um, and so I do think there are cases where, yeah, absolutely, the county and the even lower, the city level, is, is the best option. Mm-hmm. I think there's also this, <clears throat> we've learned, um, so, for example, there's been the mask mandate in Salt Lake County, um, and people have been strongly encouraged toward it in other areas. Now, that's all changed with our new coding system we just right. introduced. But um, there were people who thought there was a mask mandate across the state. I mean, mm-hmm. it just because they heard it. Um, and so we're learning more and more that, you know, messaging and education is important. And, and everyone ha- uh, um, having a similar message is good in communicating with the public. So I think there are some areas... We're at the state level. We do have to be involved because um, we're, we're reflective of our population. We are accountable to the people. And in some areas, we, for example, with emergency powers, we have seen all sorts of area code that need tweaked. Mm-hmm. And so I'm working on a bill specific to that. But but so to answer your question, I think it's both. Okay. All right. Um, that kind of dovetails into my next question. Uh, maybe this will be a little bit redundant, but I'll okay. ask it anyways. Uh, how would you grade the state's response to COVID-19 so far? And if reelected, how would you want to try to uh, uh, help help the state's response going forward? You bet. I, um, that's a really good question. And in terms of giving a letter grade, you know, I think we've done our... Everyone, I really don't think there's been anyone who's maliciously trying to damn the state in any way. Mm-hmm. I think COVID-19 hit us like a fastball out of nowhere. And um, for me, I'll just hit home on, I think, in my opinion, I have never voted to extend the state of emergency. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't take COVID-19 seriously. I've had it. My husband has had it. My yeah. little boy has had it. I recognize to our high-risk categories, this is catastrophic. I get that. I think, though, in a state of emergency, we are giving legislative and policymaking power to the executive branch that has serious unintended consequences. And so my, my biggest concern with our response has been that we have remained in a state of emergency, which there's an argument to be made for or against whether that precludes us from receiving federal dollars. but. President Trump has declared a national state of emergency, so we are, for FEMA funds, we can receive those. Um, But anyways, so I do think that the emergency powers has been a concern to me. And uh, and, and as part of that, the spending process. So particularly no-bid contracts. So we Mm -hmm. saw um, when COVID-19 first kicked up, 
you know, all of a sudden there was this big movement to try and get an app created. Um, and so the company got that normally, if you're doing business with the government, we mm -hmm. have a bidding process yeah. because we need to make sure we're, we're being frugal with taxpayer dollars and that a company can meet our needs. Mm -hmm. And um, th there was no bidding process. And so now we're locked into a year long contract. We've spent $4 million on an app that doesn't even work right. Mm -hmm. And so um, to me, that's concerning. Yeah. You know, that's a problem. And so I think there's value in having a competitive bid process. Mm -hmm. I do get in a, in a state of emergency that in a traditional sense, when you think of flood, fire, tornado, you need to be able to use and respond quickly, use those state resources and respond quickly. But I think overall, we have to take a look at it. Um, and even with the, the purchase of the drug that was in the testing process. And I just think there were a lot of things that were knee-jerk reaction that if we could have slowed down a little bit, mm -hmm. it would have helped the process. And so um, I'm hopeful that we will not be in a state of emergency next year and that we can be back yeah. to our uh, normal legislative process. I have been a part of the group that has signed a proposed joint resolution to end the state of emergency. Um, Obviously, you have to have enough votes to override a governor's veto on that. So mm -hmm. um, that's kind of sitting where it's at. But yeah, I think there's a lot that we've done right. You know, we've I've really been excited to be able to work with constituents and getting them connected with unemployment resources and even better, uh, job resources. Mm -hmm. And so I think we've done a lot of things in terms of uh, the economy that have been really great. I think I, I have appreciated that we are allowing school districts to make the decision making and, and schools being open and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that our youth are returning to some level of normalcy. So I think we have done a lot of things right and we can always do better. Yeah. All right. Uh, and finally, to wrap things up, uh, why should voters in District 52 vote for you? So uh, the, the key question, right? right. <laughs> I would say I am, I ran on the commitment to be accessible hardworking and find community-driven solutions. And if you look at my my record since I've been in office, I really think I've done that. And as a representative, I'll continue to do that. And for me, I really believe in collaborating and building um, coalitions around issues and bringing the stakeholders to the table. I have worked closely with our city leaders, which is I'm grateful to have the endorsements of uh, South Jordan Mayor Don Ramsey, Riverton Mayor Trent Staggs, several members of the Harriman City Council. I really think that we work best when we're all in tandem. And so I've made a point of regularly meeting with and representing our, our local area. And I am I hope I'm able to continue doing that. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, thanks for uh, coming on the program today. Uh, it was great talking with you. Nice to meet you and be able to do this. I really appreciate it. Awesome. And good luck on the campaign. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Harriman Audio Journal. To stay up to date on all things Harriman, follow the Harriman Journal on Facebook and Instagram. And if you have an idea for a guest we should have on the show, send us a message. 